everybody. Thanks for coming to this intimate gathering. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Lane. I'm a post superior and I'm on the board of the Post Alliance, but thanks to everybody who joined for the evening, whether you're in the Post Alliance, Women in Film, anything. Very important topic we are covering about piracy in our industry and Creative Future does a lot to fight against it and try to change the legislation uh, to pr protect our jobs in the future because it is a trickle-down effect. And I am really honored to introduce Ruth Vitale, who's the, who was the founder of Paramount Classics and president of Fine Line Features and is the executive director of Creative Future and has traveled the world lecturing about this very important issue. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for coming out because I know it's like a kind of a crappy day out. But all I can say is we could really use the rain in California. My, my aunt was like, aren't you glad to see the rain? I'm like, it's in the wrong state, Aunt Ro. She's 95. Gotta cut her some slack. So thanks for coming out. Um, I come from the other side of the business, meaning I may... Do I Oh, we're recording. Sorry. I have to use it. Um, I ran Fine Line Features, which is the art house division of New Line. I ran Vestron, where we made Dirty Dancing. That's how long I've been in the business. And I was at New Line in co-production and acquisitions, where we made everything from Mortal Kombat to Don Juan DeMarco to Karina Karina to Monkey Trouble to Love Their Own Compassion. It's like from the ridiculous to the sublime. At Fine Line, we did Shine, which people probably know because of Jeffrey Rush. And uh, then I went on to co-found Paramount Classics and run it with my partner, David Dinnerstein, where we did everything from Hustle and Flow to Mad Hot Ballroom to The Machinist to You Can Count on Me to Virgin Suicide. We released like 50 films, Bloody Sunday, you name it. Um, so it's all really a long story way of saying that I know what you guys do. I know how hard you work. And when I was asked to do this job, I thought, piracy, is it a problem? And then I found out that with kind of the rise of digital use that it was. And I thought, okay, so I, I educated myself a little. You know, when I was running Paramount Classics and we had Hustle and Flow, I knew that there was a Blu-ray on the street the day the movie opened, right? But you kind of think of it as like, okay, that happened, it's no big deal. But obviously, in the years since then, digital has on the uprise, and piracy is hurting our business terribly. So they approached me in uh, early 2013 about this job, and I had to educate myself. Uh, the more I educated myself, the more depressed I got, actually, <laughs> because I was like, oh my god, it's horrible. I mean, and it, and, and it devastates studios, but it also hurts independent film, which is really my love and my concern. They are the next generation of voices, right? They are the next, who's the next Anthony and Joe Russo who do Captain America? Who's the next James Gunn who did Guardians of the Galaxy? Who's the next Soderbergh? Who's the next, I mean, you get it, right? It's just, if they don't have a chance to tell their stories, to have their movies released, for have people see them as opposed to steal them, where, how are they going to make their mark? So after talking to all the people involved, in what the organization was then called was Creative America. Uh, it was the child of the DGA, SAG-AFTRA, IATSE, CBS, and the six majors. They came together in the summer of 2011 and said, piracy is hurting us all. Interesting 
combination of peoples, right? Organizations, because generally they're on the other side of negotiating tables from each other. But they really did agree on one thing, that piracy was hurting the industry, both in film and television. So um, SOPA PIPA happened in the winter of 2011. I don't know how many of you know about that. That was two bills that were drawn up by our, the entertainment and music business. They were Stop Online Piracy Act and the Protect IP Act. And when we thought that they were going to be passed and it would have involved legislation with site blocking and many other things, um, our, our industry went home for Christmas vacation. And during those two weeks, while we were all on vacation thinking that these bills were going to be passed, Google started a campaign called Don't Break the Internet. I don't know if you remember, they had Wikipedia go dark for 24 hours. And kids were like, oh, we can't, we can't have them break the internet. These bills will break the internet. Now, granted, those bills were probably overwritten in some places, but they certainly weren't going to violate people's freedom of speech rights, which is what they managed to convince people. So the bills were scuttled. Washington, D.C. said, no more legislation for us. And Hollywood and the music industry kind of went home with their tails between their legs. Creative America lay fallow. And then, as I said, in early, early 2013, they came to me. I learned a little bit about it. And in July, they offered me the job. And I had been talking to them for three months. But when they offered me the job, I was like, I don't know. They go, what do you mean? You've been talking to us for three months. I'm like, but I can't eradicate piracy. How can I even possibly be delusional enough to think that that's okay? You know, like that I'm going to do that. And your answer was, Ruth, the bar is so low, you have only up to go. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's a rallying cry. But I took the job anyway. I decided, okay, I'm going to try to fight for our rights because it is really, like I wake up in the morning and I know that 150% I'm in the right. That if you create something and you work hard on it, it is no one else's right to take that from you, you know? So we launched, uh, I came on board in uh, late July 2013. The first thing we realized is that you can't ask people to mobilize around something called Creative America if they come from all over the world. You know, our creative communities do come from all over the world. We shoot all over the world. So uh, the first thing I had to do was go back to my board and tell them that we, I wanted to change everything, which I so didn't want to be that person. Um, but we came up with the name Creative Future. And remembering that there were 10 companies when we first started, we launched in February of 2014 with about 65 organizations and companies from both film and television, some book companies and some music companies and some composers. And we launched with a new mission statement, which was to speak up for the value of creativity, to speak out against the for-profit digital theft of our creative works, to embrace new technology to get our product out there as quickly as we can. But to finally say we're here, what we do matters, and we need to speak about it. Because what had happened before is the bills on Capitol Hill, it was all lawyers and lobbyists. And with all due respect to all those people that worked really hard on it, what really people want to hear, they want to hear from you, from the people that make movies. It doesn't matter if lawyers fight it. It doesn't really work that way. So uh, now, a year and a half into building this company, we have, it's a nonprofit. We're a 5016C, which means we could lobby, but I don't even know what that means because I guess 
we probably do lobby, but we lobby within our own community to just to speak up. Um, we have almost 400 organizations. We have tens of thousands of members. And what I, what, and I'm, you're kind enough to have me here tonight is because I would like you as members. There are no dues. It's simply strength in numbers. So let's play the video to explain to you kind of what we are, and then I'll go into it. That 100 second video, just to speak about creativity, took us about a year to make. <laughs> so when people say, oh, it's really easy, I know for a fact it's not. Because I couldn't figure out what to say, right? It's like, how do you do in 100 seconds? How do you capture what I'm trying to talk about? Um, but interesting, I went back to the trailer makers that I work with on trailers for movies. And that's what we finally came up with, which kind of gives you a glimpse. There's over 60,000 pirate sites. All right, so I am. This one's better? Okay, hi. There's over 60,000 pirate sites, so I'm, on, I'm, I'm under no illusions that we're going to stop all of them. But here's what our initiatives are, right? The first is to mobilize the creative community. The second is to follow the money. And the third is youth outreach. So let me just go through them. So mobilizing the creative community is to say, okay, lawyers and lobbyists, that didn't work. So let's get our community to stand up and say, we're here, we matter, we matter. Creativity is the cultural fabric of the planet. Don't let anyone tell you that you should be a doctor, a lawyer, or an architect if what you want to do is be in, these cre in the creative industries, in whatever aspect. And it goes for everything, right? It's not just film and television. It's music and books and games and you name it. These are industries that are economic drivers for this country and for other countries. So the other side, people that don't believe in copyright, and they have actually written a letter to Congress uh, last month that said the copyright stifles creativity and innovation. I'm not really sure how that works because if you can get paid for your creativity because you own, you know, someone owns the copyright, then you can actually afford to be creative and innovative as opposed to trying to figure out how to do it on the weekends. So we have been absent from that conversation. And that's why in the video I said we need to be part of the conversation because if the other side convinces audiences around the world that what we do doesn't matter and we're silent, we simply reinforce to audiences that we don't give a shit, that we're fat cats living in the back of limousines. Part of it is that we are a victim of our own red carpet celebrity, right? You look at the Oscars and you look at the Grammys and we look like a bunch of self-congratulatory whatevers. And also I keep saying, and Suge Knight running someone over, not once but twice, it makes it hard for me to defend our industry. It's like, yeah, he's a really good guy. But we know how hard we work. And the other part of it is, is we really created movie magic. One of the things I always say is my mother has no idea what I do. Okay, for 30 years I've been in the business, she doesn't have a clue. I'm pretty guessing that a lot of you don't. And one of the other things I was, and I haven't told the story in a long time, which is, when I watched the movie All is Lost, I remember thinking I can't really appreciate the movie for the storytelling because I was just thinking, those guys were wet for 60 days. Like however long that movie took, they were wet. They were wet the whole fucking time. And I'm so, it's like I usually swear all the time, but because you're taping, I'm just terrified to swear. Um, and John Landgraf, who's the CEO of Effects, said to me, without missing a beat, he goes, Ruth, the problem is that audiences think that he was wet for two hours. And I'm thinking, that can't possibly be. 
Then I'm sitting at Universal. I'm with Glenn Ross, who's the uh, head of low-budget filmmaking at, at Universal. He says, and I tell him that story, and he says, and I have another one. He said, my wife was a customer on Golden Girls. And when I brought her home when we were dating for the first time to meet my father, the first thing he asked her, and not in a friendly way, was, I'm really curious, how do you make a living working 30 minutes a week? And you think, holy shit, we have a lot of splaining to do. I mean, people don't know what we do. They don't understand the 18-hour days. They don't understand shooting out a sequence. They don't understand location moves. They don't understand any of it. They don't understand what each and every person does. They just think it magically comes together. So being part of the conversation is for us, it means everything from taking part in film festivals and taking part in panels. And if someone on the other side says something shitty about us, that one of our members writes an article and we get it placed for them. It means just standing up and saying, I want to be counted and we matter. So that's mobilizing creative community. Second is follow the money. So you see from there that the cyber lockers and the uh, ad-based revenue uh, pirate sites are making a boatload of money. There's 60,000 of them. Some of them are taking in five to $10 million a year, okay, with no overhead, all right? They send a guy into a movie theater. He puts up the arm of the, th of the, of the, um, the armrest. He tapes a high-def camera to it. He takes the audio from the hearing-impaired jack marry them, within 48 hours of a movie being in a theater, it's up on a pirate site. Now, it's not a perfect copy, but I actually thought it would be jiggly and you'd see heads going to the bathroom. Mm -mm. They do it in a not-so-busy theater and they get it done. And uh, all, the, all the pirate site operator has to do is have a server. There's nothing else. And they're criminal enterprises. It's not the two kids in a basement swapping files. It's guys that are involved in gun running, drug dealing, child trafficking, human trafficking, and this is just a very easy way for these guys to make money. So when I talk to kids about it, I actually say, it's not like it's a victimless crime you're saying screw the man because it's a corporation. You're putting money into the pockets of scumbags. So think, think that, and more on that on youth outreach in a minute. But so what we did is we said, we went to the advertising ecosystem, we went to the uh, advertisers, the advertising agencies, and the interactive agency uh, advertising board. And last summer, we wrote them a letter, okay, as part of the Follow the Money campaign, which was like, thanks for acknowledging that there's a problem and that you're going to work on getting your ads off these sites. We'd like to help you. And by the way, this letter is going public. And we had like two minutes to get some signatures. So we got Marshall Herskovic and Galen Hurd and Alec Berg and Kurt Sutter and Spike Lee. You know, we got about 30 signatures. The Wall Street Journal picked it up, the LA Times picked it up, and Variety picked it up. And within an hour, I had a phone call from them saying, we'd love to talk. And you see, you know, I always think, oh, can't be that names like that have sway. But they do, right? They do. So for a little letter like that, it was nice to have 30 names with some weight to them. Um, over the course of the next six months, through a lot of work from our organization and other organizations, in January, the advertising ecosystem just named a group called the Trustworthy Accountability Group, where major advertisers around the globe have agreed that they will try to, you know, they're going to work to get their uh, advertising off these sites. It doesn't look good for them anyway, right? It's like, you go to these sites and it's AT&T and BMW and Verizon and you name it. 
Okay. So it's, it's not good for their corporate image. And, and it's not just our business. The New York Times wrote an article last year called The Great Unwatched, where many ads are ending up on porn sites or terrorist sites or hate sites or copyright infringement. Not good for corporate image. The Johnson & Johnson baby products ended up on porn sites, which was like a complete embarrassment for them. It was like, oh my God. So... Everyone, many of the advertisers, most of the major advertisers have joined the Trustworthy Accountability Group. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, that means that they're going to try to keep their ads off. Now, why do I say try? Well, the Internet's unregulated. So what they have to do is they have to go through third-party companies that have sprung up to track the ads and divert them from pirate sites. The irony is, is that we as an industry are not allowed to give the advertisers a list of pirate sites. The Department of Justice has ruled that that would be antitrust, which I find really amusing in some sort of perverse alternate universe. So, but thankfully, third-party operators have come up, Double Verify, Verisite, White Bullet, Adomic, who are in the business. Advertising agencies can subscribe to it, the service, and the ads can be diverted. So we're starting that. And that campaign will look like, hey, advertisers, bad news, good news. Bad news is your sites, your, your ads are showing up on these sites. Good news is there's something you can do about it. So Creative Future will be kind of a support group to be able to write to these guys privately and then publicly thank people because that's something we don't do a lot. We don't thank people very much. Um, on the credit card side, the way it works is the cyber lockers are downloading movies and the speed or TV shows speed slow and up pops a very helpful little um, reminder from the pirate site saying for $7.99 a month we can give you faster download speed and all the movies and television music that you want as soon as it comes out and we take MasterCard, Visa, PayPal and American Express all right so there's something wrong with that as well right so we went to uh, Senator Leahy is uh, from Vermont is very big on this, and he's been asking the credit card companies to adopt voluntary best practices, which we call it, to stop the flow of the money. So we went to Senator Leahy, and we thanked him. We wrote a letter, thanked him. How many signatures? Like 100, 150, 150? Because we had a few more days. Because it's literally like just sending out an email, hey, will you help sign this for us? We got a phone call back from his office saying, thank you for thanking Senator Leahy. We never get thanked. And I was like, go figure. Who knew we didn't thank anybody? But I guess we don't thank people that much, right? Because we're kind of busy making movies and TV shows. So that was a lesson for me, right? That we are thanking people, and they, they appreciate that thanks. They appreciate the public nod. Um, so on Follow the Money, it's really asking all of these companies involved in the flow of money to pirate sites to stop. Um, so far, we haven't really re had any roadblocks. It just takes time to get it done. So what, in the end, happens? Well, 25% of the money being made by these pirate sites is from legitimate brands. So we do two things. We cut off 25% of their revenues. It's not, you know, it's not insignificant. And the pirate sites then look like what they are. They'll only have porn ads and Russian bride ads on them. And, that, you know, it's like, as one of my colleagues said, what's wrong with that? I was like, I don't even know where to start to answer that. <laughs> so um, that's follow the money. The third initiative to me is the most important, but it's also the most long-term. And sometimes it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's youth outreach. Now, 
We call it youth outreach because the other side says, when we say youth education, the other side says you're trying to brainwash children, okay? When they say youth education, they're not brainwashing anybody. So we call it youth outreach. Brett Williams here in the corner is our director of youth outreach, youth education, or re-education, should we say. <laughs> um, and we took a bit of time to figure out, because I got, all right, how do we do this? We've raised a generation of kids that believe that everything's free, right? They go on the internet, they think, mine. They probably don't say that when they're five, but they just go, oh, it's mine. And um, we found a nonprofit organization. Its name is I Keep Safe. And they were developing a digital citizenship and safety curriculum for kids K through 12. Because I was like, when do you start? They said kindergarten. I'm like, kindergarten? But then you think about it. Who came home and said, mom, recycle. Dad, don't litter. Dad, put your seatbelt on. You know, mom, don't smoke. It's, they're this big, right? They come home and they're proud little citizens and they are our, mor they're our, our, our moral foundation. They are, they're it, they're our next generation. So we backed uh, I Keep Safe with a variety of other organizations. They developed a curriculum called Be a Pro, which is balance, ethics, privacy, responsibility, and respect and online safety never get the two R's right, but something like that. And the first pillar that they launched was the ethical, the ethics pillar, pillar. And it was developed by copyright and copyleft educators so that nobody was happy, right? So that it wasn't too copyright and it wasn't too copyleft. It was down the middle. They piloted it uh, in Ventura County and Virginia last summer. And the teachers were delighted, over the moon actually, because copyright's a core curriculum requirement in the United States in public schools, which I didn't know. You have to teach it. You don't have to teach it as a separate segment. You can teach it in art and literature, but you must teach it. And they have no idea how to teach it. By the way, I always say if I had to teach curriculum, I'd be like, if you steal, if I copyright, if you steal, you're grounded for the rest of your life, which probably isn't good. But the curriculum starts in kindergarten, and it's as simple as this. Everyone in the room draws a picture and signs their name, but then they have to slide their picture over to the next person. And that person gets to erase the original creator's name and put their own name on it. And then the teacher says, how do you feel about that? And some kids may say, that's not very nice. Johnny just stole my picture. And one of the kids may go, ah, it's okay. I love Johnny. It's fine. But the So a producer said to me, that's not copyright. I'm like, it's kindergarten. <laughs> what you're trying to teach someone in kindergarten is that what they create is theirs and only they should decide what to do with it, right? And if they want to give it to, to Johnny, that's fine. If they don't, so, you know, one of the things, the, one of the basic tenets of Creative Future is, is that we support the artist's right to decide what they want to do with their work. If they want to give it away for free, fine. But if they don't, respect that choice. So the K through 12 curriculum is in place. Actually, K through six, seven through nine will be done by, I think, summer. And then eighth through 12th will be done, uh, no, uh, 10 through 12 will be done in, at September. It's a free to schools curriculum. And our job at Creative Future is to help push for adoption in the schools, both public and private. Like a lot of Creative Future members, kids go to public school, private school, as well as public school. To introduce, a, a, so their job is to introduce us to the principals, headmasters, and teachers. 
where we can ask them to pilot the program. We bring in an educator, we talk to them, and it looks literally retail, door to door to door to school to school to school. But it's downloadable from the um, I Keep Safe website, and it's transportable across country borders, so some people in Australia have taken a look at it to bring to the prime minister there. Because you just have to start to teach kids the value of creativity. Now part of that I also want is I want people, us, to come into schools to talk about what they do, right? Like when I was a kid, I don't know if they do it anymore because I'm 100, but they used to have firemen and policemen come in to talk about what they do. Well, why don't we ever have filmmaking crews and writers and directors? Like, why aren't they in there talking about what they do? And uh, it's interesting. I've been traveling the world, and every country has issues with piracy, and every but he talks about it almost the same way. And um, in France, they have artist in school program, which in February through the middle of March for six weeks, they have anybody who went to K through 12 go to their alma maters and talk about what they do, whether they're a scenic designer or a novelist or a gra you know, graphic designer, filmmaker, screenwriter, come in, talk to kids. You have to be able to give kids the opportunity to understand that this is a way that you can make a living. So K through 12 covered, need help pushing it out for adoption. Then we said, okay, you get to college. Who are we kidding? You go to a college class and you say, how many people, you know, pirate movies and every hand goes up. It's like, ugh. Then I realized I was talking to some kids at the Colorado Film School one day, about 50 kids, and I said, how many pirate? And pretty much every hand went up. And so I said, I have a question did you guys make shorts? They went, yeah, we make shorts. I was like, so you killed yourself, right? You made a short. It took like, you know, every dime you had and every ounce of energy and you pulled in every favor and you worked 24 seven to make a short, right? Yeah. Hard work, right? Yeah. Why would you steal from anybody else? And it was kind of, nobody had ever asked them the question. It was so bizarre. I'm like, what alternative universe are they living in? So now when I, we go to colleges, and Brett and I just spent last week in Boston at Emerson College, where we had our first inaugural Creative Future Club meeting, more on that in a minute, and we spoke at Berkeley College of Music, and we spoke at BU Film School. And the message that comes across is the job you save may be your own. Because these are kids who are in film school, or in, you know, they want to be television writers, or they want to be cinematographers. And it was all of a sudden, it was like, hey, piracy may put you out of a job, okay? So maybe you should be convincing people. And what I say to them is, I can't Xerox myself. I can't do this every minute, every day, somewhere. I mean, I'm trying, but I can't, I haven't succeeded in Xeroxing myself. So I said, not on like a political campaign, I said, I need you kids to be political surrogates, to convince one other kid that they shouldn't steal, who will convince one other kid not to steal. I said, essentially, you're starting a revolution. So at the Emerson College one that we did, in October, before this Creative Future Club, three girls came up to us in October and said, I want to start a Creative Future Club. We were like, what? But they meant it. They said, we want to change things. We want people to listen. We want people to know that what we do for a living, what we want to do with our lives matters. And I was like, so we had our first meeting uh, last Thursday. 
And they want to change, they want to do everything from change legislation to come into schools, both elementary and high schools, to talk to kids about jobs, to work with the local IA, you know, to bring, you know, guys in, women and men in to talk about the jobs they do. To me, that was really heartening because I thought, wow. And every time Brett and I go someplace, your heart kind of hurts for them because they'll say, what can we do? What can we do? This a Chinese girl from BU emailed me uh, after Friday and said, you made me finally proud of what I want to do with my life. You know, and she said, so how can I help? Because a lot of kids get, like, I always tell the story. I was pre-med at Tufts University in undergraduate school. My dad was a doctor, so there was no question that I was going to go to medical school. So I'm pre-med. I'm six weeks in. I'm sitting in the chemistry class. I'm looking at the chemical table, and I literally, I didn't even know I said it out loud. I went, holy fuck, I'm never going to get through this class. And the kid beside me said, don't worry. I'll tutor you. And I was like, oh, I, I said that out loud. And he, he said, no, no, I'll tutor you. And I'm like, you don't get it. There isn't, there's no amount of tutoring in this life or the next that is going to get me through this class. So I dropped out, I dropped my major and I changed my major to literature and I minored in dance and education. The last words my dad said to me for six months were, why don't you drop in a basket weaving course as well? And then didn't talk to me for six months. Now, cut to, I have a career in the business. I don't know how, but I did. And um, until my dad died, he, my sister's a renowned neuro, neuro radiologist at Harvard Medical School. He never talked about what my sister did. He only talked about what I did. I mean, like he was at every movie premiere. He was like, my daughter did dirty dancing. And I would say, you know, dad, that was like 25 years ago. I've done something since. But he was like, he was just so proud. So I say to kids, don't ever back down from thinking that what you want to do with your life is less than wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. And that's, and you see them go, yeah, it's okay. So you take ownership, right? So that's the other one, which is going to your alma maters and your universities and talking with us, you know, and, and making sure that kids understand that this, this is a really noble profession and one that deserves to be noticed and reckoned with. So then I thought, okay, so I got K through 12 at least slated for work, and I have college, I know how to get to the kids in art schools and film schools, but how do I get to the 16-year-old kid that doesn't give a shit about our business, or doesn't know that they do, or can't afford to go to college? How do I talk to them? And I don't know if any of you have spent time on YouTube, but I have, and that's where they live. So I went to a company called Maker Studios. Makers is owned by um, Disney, and they represent 55,000 YouTube influencers. 55,000. Many of them with millions of fans. I mean, if I, go to, if I go to YouTube, I'm stuck there forever. It's like going down the rabbit hole. It's terrifying, actually. But there is one that I always mention, who is Jenna Marbles. She has millions of followers. She has a seven-minute drunken makeup tutorial which is fantastic. You have got to see it. She's got like 21 million views. I keep saying I probably have 1 million of them because I play it all the time. Not, not really, but at least 25 times I've watched it. Kids live there. So I went to Maker and I said, can you help me be relevant to these kids? I don't know how. I don't. I'm like, I don't have a clue. I said, you can go as far as saying to them, don't be an asshole, don't be a dick. Whatever you want to say to them, just say it in your words. So we picked four YouTube influencers through Maker. 
We're going to launch a campaign sometime, God knows, in the next couple, three weeks to talk about creativity. Now, I have no idea whether it will work or not. But I do know that we'll at least know whether we've engaged them in any way. And they'll be talked to or talked with or you know, communicating with a peer because they look at those YouTube influencers as their peers. So I'm going to try that for three months and we'll know. Will we know much? No. We'll have likes. We'll have shares. We'll have comments. Let's see where it goes. But I thought, let's try because we're not reaching them anyway. And then the, thir the fourth one about that thank you thing that we never thank anybody. AMC Theaters came to me. They have 4,000 screens. They're the second largest theater chain in America. She said to me, I want to thank audiences. I was like, you do? I've always wanted to thank audiences, but I didn't think you wanted to be part of this messaging. And the reason is, is that if you think about the flip side of thanks for coming to the movies, is it's like, thanks for not stealing, right? And she said, no, I think it's time that we thank people. And I said, I have a really good idea, and I've been thinking about it since I started this job. I said, the characters in movies could thank people for coming to the movies. I said, you know, you have those... I like, I used, I love them. It's like when the minions do the don't throw your food and spit on people and turn your phone off. It's like, I love, I love watch. Like I come in early, oh, the minions are doing something or the crudes are doing something. And I, and Elizabeth Frank, who's the EVP of, at AMC, she said, you know, everybody thanks audiences. Uh, musicians thank their audiences. Athletes thank their fans. Airlines, thank you. You have many ways to fly. Thanks for flying the Friendly Skies United. And I said to Brett, I bought a lint roller because I have a dog who sheds. And when I got the lint roller in the mail, there was a thank you note from the, from the lint roller man saying, you have many places to buy a lint roller. Thank you so much for buying it from us. I was like, okay, we need to start thanking people. Because if you think about it, we say, show up, pay up, and then shut up, right? Because that's what that essentially, like, don't spit, don't eat your phone, turn it off, whatever. And like, we never say, and thanks for being here, ever. So I said to Elizabeth, I have a really good idea. I want our, our actors and filmmakers and crew to thank people. And she goes, I love that idea. And I said, and would you give us time at the beginning before the movie starts? And she said, yeah, which is enormous. Like, it's a big deal. She's amazing, and she's our angel. They're giving us 60 seconds before the movie starts. So the trailers, and then the don't spit on your friends and turn off your phone, and then 60 seconds before the movie starts, that movie, the filmmakers, the crew, however the filmmakers want to do it, will thank audiences. Now, is it overt? No. But it's a th thanks for being here. And it can be as simple as like my favorite, the Minions, having Stuart, the one-eyed cross-dressing Minion, singing in Minionese, and have, you have no idea what he's saying, and Agnes, the little girl, is over to the side saying, what Stuart's trying to tell you is he's hoppingly happy that you're here today. You know, it could be the Fast and Furious 7 crew saying, our brother died on this movie. We're all here in solidarity. Thanks for being here. I mean, they can be simple, you know, but the, by, and, but the message is, is that where you watch matters. Right. And so it's another touch point with our audiences because we don't have that very often. You know, we're always on the red carpet or not. Okay. And you don't see your audiences that often. So I'm hoping that this campaign will begin to just be another place where we become more human to our audiences. Now, having said all that, 
please know that I'm not delusional enough to think that we're going to eradicate piracy. And my staff has heard me say this many times, that there's a morning that I wake up that I don't believe. I, they get Don Quixote and Joan of Arc have nothing on me, okay? Because it is an impossible task. But the alternative is to do nothing. And that's just sheer folly. Because we need to begin to stand up to, you know, we just need to be able to stand up to say that we matter. So when I ask people to become members, it's not to take time out of your day because you all have to work, right? But if you follow us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook and my personal Facebook and Twitter and Instagram accounts as well, and to just reverberate and amplify the messages that we're, uh, that we're sending out. Often it's about celebrating creativity. Sometimes it's about something annoyingly horrible that they've said on the other side. Um, and, you know, um, we work in partnership often with a lot of the DC organizations. The MPAA just came up with a wonderful tool called Where you, wheretowatch.com. And what Brett and I do when we go into schools is we say to parents, bookmark where to watch. Every film and television show since the beginning of filmed entertainment, you can access it there and find out where you can buy it legally. Because parents actually say to us, how the hell do we know whether a pirate site is, uh, a, you know, how do we know whether a site is legitimate or not? I'm like, you don't. Because some of them look so beautiful, how would you? I said, but if you bookmark where to watch and you tell every other friend of yours who is a parent to do the same, I said, we'll begin to change behavior. So my ask tonight is just join us and because um, we need all the help we can get because I can't Xerox myself. And Brett's going to give me the matches to put myself on fire shortly. I don't get anywhere. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions? Anything? Go ahead. Is there anything, I guess, on the, because I feel like a lot of piracy is from a more, it's from like an intelligent computer, like Titan type person, mm -hmm. who may be frustrated with where they're getting their content. Like, I feel like a lot of the times it's needed to themselves to not necessarily encourage piracy, but you kind of get a get a solution that they're happy with, like Netflix. Yeah. Became extremely yeah. popular. And was blowing up with subscribers. Yeah. And then the studios decided to pull their catalogs from Netflix. And Yeah. Yeah, you find you're responsible. Yeah. Right. I know it's the, it, that that part of it is so difficult because, you know, Netflix is everywhere, right? It's, you know, it's, it, and, and they're they're spreading out into Europe, and I don't know if you know about. What's happening in Europe, the EU is trying to fight for one territory for selling movies now. And the only person, the only company that benefits is Netflix, right? Because they'll be in every territory. 
Um, it's a it's a terrible thing to have happen to the independent producer because as an independent producer, when they finance, they finance by pre-selling Germany and pre-selling France. But if that law goes into place, you'll only be able to sell it once to the entire territory. So who's going to buy it? Because German distributors don't distribute in France. You know, French distributors don't distribute in Spain. So it becomes very complicated. There's a long-winded way of saying that there's a lot of stuff, even that I, you know, that I'm not akin to, you know, that I'm not partial to hit, not, I'm not, what's the word? Privy, thank you. I knew it was a P. <laughs> I'm not privy to, but it is an issue. And the, the listen, they're all trying to go as fast as they can. I didn't actually know that the studios pulled all of their back catalog from Netflix. Yeah, no. And it was gone. Right. You should check where to watch, though. And I'll, I'll only tell you this because I was sitting in London a couple months ago now. I'm going back next week. But um, I was with a very well-known screenwriter and playwright. And he was like, ugh, my son is the worst of, you know, offender of pirating. He pirates all the time. I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You, like, he lives, he, he survives because of your living in the business. He goes, he's 13, he won't listen to me. I said, what's he stealing? And he goes, well, he wanted to see Winslow Boys, the David Mamet movie, and he couldn't find it anywhere. Okay, so not to, not to be defeated, I go home to the hotel that night, I punch in, in, in the UK, it's findanyfilm.org. I type in findanyfilm.org, I go find Winslow Brothers, there it is, Winslow Boys. There it is, available legally. Three links. I send it to my friend, and I said, "Tell your reprobate thirteen-year-old, okay, that <laughs> he should bookmark find any film because that, you know." Now, granted, if you have a Netflix subscription, you don't want to have to go pay for it elsewhere. And by the way, it's the same as like when my DVR blipped on me like two weeks ago when I was gone. I had to go on Apple TV and buy two episodes of Scandal and something else like. You know, for two ninety nine, I was mad, right? Because I'm already paying my direct TV bill, but my DVR like just like went out on a power surge that night. So I get it. We're not. We're. we're you know, the answer is is we're dancing as fast as we can. I mean, you know. Go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. I, you know, that, so I'm sitting in Sundance, I'm at a private dinner, and I'm sitting with that Sharon Waxman from The Wrap hosted a dinner, and uh, it was uh, with Box.com out, uh, out, of, out of Silicon Valley, and I think it was Pepsi, was it Pepsi or something? Yeah. So I was sharing the Dallas Buyers Club piracy numbers, right? And because Cassian was with me, Cassian Elwes, who's one of the financiers and producers, and I said, uh, because I said, you know, people think it's the studios, it's Goliath versus Goliath, okay? And, and, that, and that's when I say it's about the indies because they're our next set of voices. I said Dallas Buyers Club had, you always know the number, 7 million 
theatrical tickets sold during its theatrical life. And that's around the world. So average cost seven bucks and change. During that same time and a little longer, there were 22 million illegal downloads. 22 million. So a guy spoke up, an independent producer who actually came from the tech world, but now is now producing movies. And he goes, well, but those 22 million illegal downloads were influencers. At which point Cassian said, are you going to get up and punch him in the face or am I? Because Kat, they broke even on Dallas Buyers Club. You know, they didn't make enough, you know, they didn't make the money that they should have based on those, you know, transactions. And so I looked at the guy and I said, <clears throat> I'm going to step in here before Cassian punches you and say that I'm going to, I think your argument's specious. I don't believe that they're influencers. What they, I believe they do is influence more people to pirate because they send the links. But let's, let's say that there are, okay? But let's say that 5% of them are not influencers and would never have watched the movie, purchased the movie, okay, unless it was available legally, that they would have, okay, that's, they wouldn't have gone to pirate it. So that's 1.1 million transactions. What's the average transaction cost? It's probably four or five bucks, right? To, to stream a movie once legally. Okay. So I use $3, all right? Because it's just, it's less and 5% of the 22 million is a small number. That's $3.3 million, which would have made the difference for Cassian to have been able to pay additional monies to, to people all in that crew who worked for less. So that's when I say it's like, okay, Forget the studios for a second, but indie films are dying. And we have a lot of young creative future filmmaker members who can't make their second film because the first one was pirated before it even got out, before they even found a distributor. And that's the problem. I got it. Oh God, it, it breaks your heart. I got a uh, you know, Facebook post on my Facebook page saying I've spent $25,000 in legal fees trying to do takedown notices because I'm an indie filmmaker with no distributor. I can't afford to do it anymore. What do I do? I don't even, I, and I don't have an answer. So yes, the studios need to work harder. Okay. But we still need to convince people it isn't, it just isn't, it isn't right. I'm sorry. Talking about future voices. I saw something on the Letterman show about 25 years ago in this city. There was a young actor who was kicked out of Juilliard. And his name was Kevin Spacey. <laughs> and he was mentored by Jack Lemmon. So now right. he's ending his tenure at the Old Vic, and right. he has the Kevin Spacey Foundation. He's going to countries like Egypt that the kids don't know that they can be creative and be actors right. and be technicians. So if I think to link up with someone like that, Kevin, uh, right. influence, and to get the, the anti-piracy in with him yeah because i think he's a great spokesman. he is a great spokesman as a matter of fact i actually reached out to him i i did a movie with him us of leland which he produced and i know joanne horowitz his manager and after house of cards came out and there was huge piracy on it he came out and said well if it were available okay people wouldn't pirate it well that isn't the case because as you saw last week with periscope okay game of thrones was available and there were still i don't know how many downloads Game of, um, not Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Gail Ann Hurts, a friend, AMC, and, you know, Walking Dead, they made that show available 20, 24 hours after it was screened here, all around the world in 27 languages, and there were still a half a million illegal downloads in the first 24 hours. Because people, one, don't want to wait, two, don't care. They just don't care. 
So when I called Joanne to talk to Kevin and I said, he's an extraordinarily eloquent speaker, like smarter than like most, but I need him to get the facts right. Right. Which are, by the way, the other one is, did I say this? Cause I don't remember. <laughs> Cause I said, um, the piracy spike from the day a movie opens in theaters, when it comes out online, it spikes 120% the day the hard goods come out. Piracy spikes, meaning they still don't care. It's available. They don't want to pay for it. And that's the problem. But yes, we have to, and, and by the way, the spokespeople have to be uh, carefully chosen. Not that I wouldn't want George Clooney on my side, but George Clooney, people say, well, that guy's got so much money. Cause you hear that a lot. We're not hurting anybody. They got tons of money. So for me, it's people that have less of that celebrity um, to go to talk to people like a Kevin. I even think, you know, the JJ Abrams of the world, the Spike Lee's like the guys that like create, you know, and your cinematographer and your production designer and your script supervisor. It's like, we're real. Not that celebrities aren't real, but they, you know, there's, they have this otherworldly aura about them, but thanks about Kevin. Cause I didn't know that, um, he was going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a question? Yeah. If you can equate a value um, of how much a film loses because of piracy, mm -hmm. um, how did the lawyers and the lobbyists fail in their efforts to follow the money? I, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, these are legal banking institutions that run the credit cards the, 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 that are the, the problem, in on it. The problem is, is that um, the banks that are providing the credit cards, because as I said, MasterCard and Visa are not banks themselves, they're brands. Most of those banks are based in Eastern Europe. I just had a conference call about it the other day with actually a friend of mine who was the former minister of culture of the country of Georgia. And he said, I can help you in the Ukraine because most of my former colleagues in the political in Georgia, and Georgia doesn't have such a big problem, it's coming out of the Ukraine. Um, and that's the problem. Now, we're, we're working. Now, see, American Express and PayPal are easy. They're their own banks. So PayPal was named in the indictment against Kim.com. Do you know about Kim.com? Okay, so Kim.com um, is a man whose real name is Kim Schmidt. He's a German, and he's a convicted securities fraud and data espionage felon, okay? And he quit securities fraud and data espionage and went into movie and television and music theft because it was safer. And he started an, uh, uh, a cyber locker online called um, Mega Upload. He ran it for six years. In six years, he made $175 million dollars. 150 million from credit card subscriptions and 25 million from ad support. Fortunately for us, he had uh, the chutzpah to have his server in Virginia where we could shut him down. So the FBI and Homeland Security went in and shut him down. But he's in New Zealand and he's fighting extradition. CBS 60 Minutes did a piece on him last February um, and he's living in this god awful gauche mansion where he says, that I'm for the people and you know, I love music and film and I don't know what they're talking about. All right. Now I think his, I think his extradition 
uh, our extradition attempts are actually going to succeed, and he'll probably come to trial this summer. But we don't have we don't have any ability beyond this country now. By the way, it's not like other countries aren't helping. So in London, there's something called the Police Intellectual Property Crime Unit, PIPQ. Uh, I love these guys. They're street cops of 20 years, and they're now in cybercrime, and it's cybercrime of all kinds, counterfeit goods, uh, bribery, overseas bribery, like if you give $10 to save the children to make sure that the it doesn't, none of the money ends, ends up being there, sadly, because of you know governments. Um, so I've become on a first name basis with Ollie Walsh. He's the constable. I love him. They site block in the UK. Okay, they have the legal right to site block. When I first met them in October, they had site blocked 96 sites. They're now at 196. So how the law works there is they go to court. They prove that XYZ site has copyright infringement on it. The judge determines and they shut it down. Now, here's the rub. There's something called VPN masking. Do you know what that is? Virtual private network masking. It's actually legal in Singapore because they really clearly don't care about copyright. As a UK citizen, I can mask my IP address and trick the computer into thinking I'm not in the UK, and then I can access the site, the sites that are blocked. But again, it's the kind of thing is like, <laughs> you have to start somewhere. But we don't have jurisdiction anywhere. The Pirate Bay was the largest pirate site uh, in existence. It got 60 million unique visitors a month, which is more than ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox.com combined. They were shut down numerable times. Okay, One week, two years ago, they were shut down every day in a different country. Their server was in the Caribbean. It was shut down that day by Interpol. The next day it went to Ascension Island, which was a volcanic island off of Africa. They shut it down. The next day it went to Peru. It was shut down. The next day it went back to the Caribbean. It was like, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. I'm old enough to remember that reference. <laughs> and then the next day it was back in Sweden. And the founder said, fuck you. There's a new country every day for us to put a server in. So it's really difficult. So we have to start here. And you know, it's interesting because other countries are further ahead. So the UK has site blocking, Russia has site blocking. They're probably going to put site blocking in in Australia by summer. But people look to America to see what we're doing. And, you know, we're just rolling the rock up the hill. It's depressing, I know. Uh, what about ASCAP and BMI? Are they members? Because they've got a lot at stake. Um, with all the songs and stuff. Yeah, they are not members yet. Um, I just spent last Wednesday down in D.C. talking to the CEOs of all the music associations. Mm -hmm. The reason I didn't go to the music associations first, because I, I thought, even I don't have enough chutzpah to say, you should join me. I have no idea what I'm doing. Paul Williams. <laughs> yes? He's the head of ASCAP. Okay. He's a very friendly guy. Is he? All right, then <laughs> Then I shall approach him. I and and Vincent Candelora, he used to be with CSEC. Now yeah. is they're together. Very, e I think they'd be easy to approach. Okay. Uh, and it like prestige of not doing this because they belong to the organization. Is there any way of having like a little seal, like the Good Housekeeping seal of approval, a little tiny thing that says you're on board with creative people? It's just an idea. Yeah. No, actually, we're asking our members to put the where to watch bug 
on their um, on their websites. So mm-hmm. we just started to do that so that they it would link right to the site. And interestingly, the RIAA, because I do know Carrie Sherman, he has uh, their site is uh, Why Music Matters, and it links to all legal music. The thing with music is they're far ahead of us because they've had this problem longer. Yeah. So, you know, anyone who's looking for music, they know they can find it on Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, mm. Beats, you know what I mean? They're kind of already there. But interestingly, when Carrie and I had lunch, I said, you know, we have, you know, where to watch. And, and, um, and this tagline is, is where you watch matters. And he, he bought the URL where you listen matters. So that mm. if we, we get, what I've been trying to do is everyone around the world is trying to say the same thing. And I said, so rather than us all pushing little individual rocks up a hill, let's try to figure out how we can push one rock mm-hmm. up that hill because there'll be more. So I would love an introduction to Paul Williams. If you know him, if not, I could call him blindly, I suppose. I, I would, you know, do whatever I could. Okay. Thank <laughs> um, you. The other, uh, I wanted to ask about Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, where do they fit into this? Oh, God. Okay, I'm yeah. going to give you... Oh, a... God, you just said it. Yeah, I'm going to give you a perfect example because this is actually... It, it's kind of head-scratching, but it isn't once you understand. So you all remember on Christmas Day, the James Franco, Seth Rogen movie, The Interview, came out day and date. Were it not for the Korean government, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think any of this would have happened. But be that as it may... The major theater chain said we won't run it because it's going to be day and date. So some of the independent uh, film distributed uh, theaters ran it. Um, our one of our partners, Tim League at Alamo Drafthouse, ran it. Some other indies ran it, and the same day it appeared online. So I did two things on Christmas Eve. I called one of the research companies that actually tracks illegal downloads. They're out of Germany. One of my one of my staff said to me, you know, it is Christmas Eve and it's nine o'clock in Germany. I'm like, I don't care. Ben will call me back. And he did. I said, Ben, could you track the illegal downloads over the next two days? I'm just going to be curious. It's now available in America, you know, everywhere at the same time. Okay. And, um, uh, and then on Christmas morning, the first thing I did after wishing my family Merry Christmas is (laughs) go to my computer and I typed into the Google search bar, Watch the interview. I didn't finish. It auto-completes because it does that. And here's what I saw. Google Play offering the movie for $5.99. And then three or four illegal websites Mm -hmm. with Watch the Interview. Now, if you don't know the nuance, you'd think, why would they compete with their own movie that they have bought or licensed from Sony, why would they then put free sites below that are clearly pirate sites? Well, here's the reason. They make more money from the ad clicks on the pirate site than they do from selling it for $5.99. Five days later, the Google Play was gone, and all the the sites were illegal websites. It's the same for them with pharmaceuticals, the illegal pharmaceutical companies. It's the same with counterfeit goods. They... It's a really, that's a long road to hoe. They have done some things. In October, they agreed to start, you know, trying to get rid of some of the pirate sites, but more pirate sites pop up. And the problem is, is that I don't know if you're aware of something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act in the late 1990s, has a safe harbor clause, which says that they're not responsible 
Okay. Or a site's not responsible for taking something down. The copyright holder is. We're sending one to 2 million takedown notices a week. Is it more than that? It's a day. One to 2 million a day. Because what happens is when you send a takedown notice, they change the genetic numbering strand. I don't, I'm so not tech that, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know how to code, but they change the coding. So that the next day the movie goes up, it just has a different number on it. So that's where they stand. And by the way, to the piracy thing, there were 2 million illegal downloads in the first 48 hours. 500,000 of them were in the U.S. where it was available day and date. And you just think, okay, I just pressed myself every time I told that story. I'm going to kill myself. Um, but, <laughs> but we need more people to speak up. I mean, really, we do. I mean, it's fascinating when you talk to kids because kids go, wow, I didn't know that I was hurting anybody. And it's interesting, Brett was at a class with fifth and sixth graders where they talked about this, and then they had a second class with seventh and eighth graders. And he said the fifth and sixth graders cared deeply. They thought, this is wrong. He said you could watch the seventh and eighth graders just turn their faces off because they had already gotten to that point in their life where they can rationalize bad behavior. Brett needs to uh, hit the Occupy movement. They're totally into open source. That's all I, my, my son, that's all I hear from him is open source. Uh, okay. I was also going to ask, uh, what, what are the laws? Like, there's copyright, and uh, is there, is there uh, other different kinds of laws? Or do you ever get to the point where you work a law against them or anything? No, there are, I mean, there's, it's a, uh, what did Rob Levine, we, had, we saw Rob Levine today, he's an author. It's a. It's not a criminal case to steal something. It's a civil case. Yeah. And we're copyright. not. And the problem is, is that as an industry, we don't want to be putting grandmothers and kids in jail, right? What we want to do is go after the for-profit theft. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't want to go after the downloaders. You want to educate the downloaders, and you want to try to put the uploaders out of business. That's what you want to do. And um, I don't think there's going to be legislation in this country for a very long time. However. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. The uh, Attorney General Hood out of Mississippi has started to file a suit against Google. Okay? He wants to be able to see their books. He wants to see how their search works. He wants to look under the hood. He has to travel to Silicon Valley. Well, here's what happened. Um, In the Sony hack that happened... When all the documents came out, um, one of the documents that came out was a document saying that Attorney General Hood was going to be doing this. So what happened? There was a trip made by certain people from Silicon Valley to Mississippi to put forth in the courts that an attorney general could never spend more than $250,000 investigating a case. And in the first round, they won because that's how much political power they have. Mm. So it'll be appealed, and Attorney General, I don't think he's going to stop. But he needs, you know what I mean? It was like, they need to hear from us. And so when there are, we work with our colleagues in D.C. all over, and when they say, hey, we need a letter, we need a phone call, we need an appearance, we're here. That's what what we want to be able to do with Creative Future. So if an employer 
if they're an employee of an employer does something and the employee is held the employer is held responsible there's nothing similar for a server no no the sir the argument that uh, all of these companies use is that there could be public domain content on these websites so the bible could be on it someone's family photos could be on it we, by the way, we know those arguments are specious, but that's what they're hiding under. Can I depress you any further? Yes? I'm just curious what materials are available on your website that we can share regarding statistics. Oh, there's, we have an eight-page fact document that will drown you. Um, and by the way, there's tons of reading that can be had. I mean, I'm still a year and a half in, not caught up on all the reading because there's so much of it. But we have something called The Facts, which is eight pages, which shows you, like, what's going on, you know, some of the facts. And it's interesting, like, Gail Ann Hurd will be going to D.C. and she'll say to me, can I have the most recent update on it so that I have it, so that I'm versed enough to be able to have a conversation. And by the way, I'm not nearly as versed as I need to be. Rob Levine, who I mentioned, who's the author, who knows the copyright inside out. I always say to him, I said today, I said, I need a pocket-sized version of you. <laughs> Every time I get into a debate with the other side, I can pull you out. Because there are people that live and breathe this all day long. Please sign up, please. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Yes, everyone should definitely sign up. To those listening at home, creativefuture.org forward slash join. It's free and very important.